Today is what day in the church calendar? Anyone know? Pentecost. Pentecost. And Pentecost is actually one of the most important days in the church calendar. And we're going to talk about why. But here's what I want you to know that I've been praying for you. I know people are on vacation and people are away. It's, it's Memorial Day. They're supposed to be. We all want to be in Vermont. We all want to be at the shore. We all want to be at Lake George, right? Anyone want to be any of those places right now? Did I really just frustrate you by saying that? But in that, I believe that the most important place to be right now in this moment is in this room or to be in some church across the world. Because today we celebrate the greatest gift that God has given to us. More than your spouse, more than your children, more than your vocation, more than your finances, more than anything. Because what we're going to celebrate this morning is the culmination of everything amazing and awesome about God. And so I want you right now to be in a place of expectancy. I want you right now, and whatever's going on in your life, whatever problems you're having, whatever issues are going on, whether it's emotionally, relationally, spiritually, physically, financially, I want you right now to be in a place that God is going to meet you this morning in a manner that you have never experienced before. And I'm just saying that what God wants to do this morning is He wants to speak a transformational truth in your life that began and ended and was solidified on the day of Pentecost. And so I want us to stop and pray. And I want us to have an expectancy that God is with us. So I'm just going to very humbly kneel because I want my words to be words of God and not words of Rob. And I just want to take a moment and pray. Jesus, Father God, Holy Spirit, You are three in one and You are a mystery that we can never fully fathom. Just like Paul had said, it's like looking into a glass dimly. But one day we will. One day we will be in full understanding of who You are. This morning, I ask You that in our confusion of questions and frustrations and circumstances, that You would bring clarity in our identity and who we are in view of You. So Holy Spirit, please let it not be about the amount of words, but the power behind the words. In Jesus' name, Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. And here's what I want to do this morning is, so often we, we look through the Bible and we run through things and, and I always bring up verses and we know we put it up here and, and we make it as simple as possible, Right? To kind of not have to bring a Bible, to not have to worry about it. And I realize that you I realize that the majority of you, about about seventy to eighty percent of you when you're on your phones or you're you're on your Bibles as well. Some of you are texting and figuring things out. I get it. Um, so I'm not I'm not condo- I'm not condemning, I'm just saying. But if you have your Bible on your phone, take out your phone. This is a great time to use it. I want to walk through passages of the scripture and be very clearly 
about what God has done and what He's going to do. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And we're going we're gonna to hold this Bible knowing that it's not just historical understandings of God, but it's God's holy Word. It's inerrant. It's perfect. It's God-breathed. And it's infallible. It's without error. That everything, in ta- everything that is taught in here, like it says in Scripture, is for training, equipping, rebuking, and empowering. And that there's no fault in this Word. Amen? Amen. Let's read Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Imagine this. Imagine right now being in the plant in Ramapo Ridge. Remember, they were not in a temple. They were not in a church. They were not in a synagogue. But they were in someone's house. And all of a sudden, it just started to explode. Remember that uh, four years ago with the earthquake that some of you felt that? Here in New Jersey, even though it was down in Virginia, you felt this, 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 this vibration going on. And all of a sudden, that's what happened with these disciples. They were waiting. Jesus said, wait, wait. And as they were waiting, as they were praying, the house shook. The sounds of thunder and lightning were amongst them. Then what looked like flames of tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. Now this is the key. At that time, there was a gathering of Jewish people from every nation. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running It wasn't just the people in the house. All of Jerusalem shook in such a manner that they knew that something was occurring. They came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. Here's the key. We oftentimes hear about tongues and we're terrified because we think that the language of tongues was this, this, this battle. And it was kind of like just saying like, I should have bought a Honda. I should have bought a Honda. I shouldn't have bought a Cadillac. And like all these things were happening really, really, really quick. Now let me say this. Let me preface this. I believe God gives a heavenly prayer language. Something that we do not understand. I pray in a heavenly prayer language not all the time, but there are times when I go in my room and the Holy Spirit says, you don't know what to pray, let me pray. And in, not in front of crowds, but in my room, like it talks about in Scripture, God will speak through me. My kids have only heard me pray in tongues one time. And that was this past year. But when Pentecost happened, they were speaking in all the native tongues. If there were Spanish people there, they were speaking in Spanish. If there were Polish people there, they were speaking in Polish. You can give a little woohoo. If there were Italian people there, they were speaking in Italian. If there were Cherokee Indians there, they would have been speaking in Cherokee Indian language. No matter what it was, these were not just some crazy languages all over the place. I do believe in the prayer language of tongues, but in the public setting, 
Everyone was praying in a language known to those in Jerusalem. And so all of a sudden, when they heard this thunder, when they heard this loud bam, they came running and all of a sudden they're like, I, I hear someone praying in Italian. Is that Omar praying in Spanish? <laughs> what? And all of a sudden, they just started realizing, and when you look at this passage, and we don't have to go through all the languages, all these different languages, they prayed in. Jump down to verse 11. Both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, imagine that, Arabs. There were Arabs, Arab Jewish people in Jerusalem who heard people praying in Arabic. Our nation has such an anger right now to those who are Arab and Arabic, Iraq and Iranian. And there were Jewish believers there that heard someone praying in Arabic. And we all hear these people speaking in their own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. Imagine this. There are certain periods in the church calendar or certain topics that we we don't like to bring up. And one of them is Pentecost. We don't like bringing up Pentecost because of the, the weird spookiness of it, right? Right? If you come from more of a Baptist or Reformed background, there, there's certain things that you just don't want to talk about. You don't want to talk about Pentecost because you're afraid that Rob's going to start getting up there saying, you should have bought a Honda, should have bought a Honda, should have bought a Honda. But instead, I bought a Volkswagen. That's what you're th- concerned of. You're concerned that something weird is going to happen and something freaky is going to take place. But what was so wild and freaky to these individuals was normal and real and tangible. You see, what was happening was, is we think about Pentecost as something that was new, that was added to the church calendar, right? Like Pentecost is a New Testament thing, right? Don't we think that? When you think about Pentecost, you don't think about Old Testament, but actually Pentecost was a feast that the Jewish people had been celebrating for years. Years. Over a thousand years they came together to celebrate Pentecost in Jerusalem. And so they were all there celebrating Pentecost, but what happened was, while they were celebrating, it was 40 days after Jesus had been risen back to life, 40 days after He went up to heaven, and then 40 days that they were waiting for the gift that Jesus said He was going to give which was the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus had left and for 40 days they were waiting for Jesus' gift to them. Think about this. We have a calendar in our house for Christmas. 25 days, right? December 25th is Christmas? Christmas is December 25th. And when we were little, we had this little calendar with December 1 that was 25 numbers. And every day our our little kids would around and say, can I take it out? Can I take it out? Can I take it out? Day one. Day two. And they, they really believed in their heart that the next day was Christmas. They couldn't fathom it. They couldn't comprehend it. So they literally thought like December 2nd was Christmas. Come on! You know, Brandon would have a temper tantrum. Kick something, throw something, whatever he would do. You know, Becky would just kind of go in a room and the sweet little girl would just say, it's okay, Christmas is coming. But they, we would just wait and wait and wait. But all of a sudden, 
That's what these disciples were doing. They were waiting for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this was so significant because this is what, this is what in Mark chapter 1, John had said. I baptize you with water, but He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Jesus had promised the disciples and all who call Him Lord this gift of the Holy Spirit. That everyone who called on the name of Jesus would not just be saved for eternity's sake, but would be given life here on earth. Everlasting life. And what Jesus was doing when He gave the gift of the Holy Spirit, He was actually giving them a completely new heart. A new mind. And a new birth. Let me ask you a very serious question. You see, I'm stepping down. Whenever I step down, it's a place of humility. Do you really see the moment that you came to Jesus and where you're at now as you having a new birth in life? Do you see a major change in who you are? Yeah, you still have issues. Yeah, you still have problems. Yeah, you still struggle with things, but do you see a total, some form of total shift in the moment you made Jesus Lord of your life till today? Because that's what Jesus gave when He gave the Holy Spirit. We like to talk about this whole idea of regeneration. It's a good theological term. But do we really talk about new birth? New life? Do we actually believe that that if I was to look back three years, five years, ten years, fifteen years, that, that it wasn't about maturity, it was about what God has done in my life, that I am no longer the same individual I used to be? 2 Corinthians 5.17 Look with me in Scripture. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Turn with me. It's on page, and I want you to read this. 2 Corinthians 5.17. It's on page 696. Open up your Bible. Show me you got it. Come on. Show me. There's a phone. Show me. Let's read what it says. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ is a new person. Not a better person. Not a a better well-dressed, kind of cleaned up individual. But is a new person. You see, here's our problem. Mind if I just read something? This is from A.B. Simpson. He said this, We may have the brightest intellectual life, the most unblemished moral character, and the most amiable qualities of disposition, and yet without the new life of the Holy Spirit in our heart, 
We can no more enter heaven than the lovely bird that sings in our window can become a member of our family. Doesn't matter about our intellect. Doesn't matter about our our moral dispositions. It doesn't matter how, how great we've obtained things. But without the new life, not only do we not experience eternity, but we don't experience the presence, the transforming work of God in our lives. And the fact of the matter is this, is that we can do a really good job of sharpening ourselves. We can go to school, we can be mentored, we can be coached, we can, we can kind of figure out what we want to create about ourselves, and we can kind of align everything we do in this life to, to make ourselves better human beings. But without the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, you are no different than you were three seconds before then you worked on empowering who you are. Let me ask you, do you really see in your heart that God has brought a transformation? Because I, I, I see this with Peter. I see this with John. I see this with James. I see this with Bartholomew. That, that all of these men, had. Exp- I see this with Luke and Matthew and all these guys, that, that their whole journey with Jesus was filled with amazement. But they never recognized the newness of life they had until the Holy Spirit filled them with His power and His presence. And we as a church, universal, mostly Western Hemisphere church, don't like to talk about the Holy Spirit because we've either made Him spooky or it means that God is fully in control. All the time. And that's the tension that we live in in our society. In our world is this tension that, that, that can I fully trust that the Holy Spirit will change me and transform me and fully do that what it says in Jeremiah 29, that He's got a plan and a purpose that is better than I could ever imagine. Turn with me to Ezekiel 36. I love this prophecy. Ezekiel. Someone find it, just call the number out. 512. Good job, that was quick. Remember when you were little, you had a candy bar for that? I owe you a Snickers. 512. Turn with me to 512. 512. Listen to what the prophecy of the Holy Spirit said. Listen to this. I'm going to read 25 through 27. Let's read 25 through 27. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. Any of us worship idols this week? Sports Center? Come on. Confession. And I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart. I love this. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart. 
Okay, elbow your spouse next to you. God wants to take out your stony, stubborn heart. If you have a sibling sitting next to you, if you have a child sitting next to you, stubborn, stubborn, stony heart. Come on, do it. It's okay. You can get mad at me. I don't really care. You know that. Come on. There you go. Someone just touched their daughter. There you go. God wants to take our stony, stubborn hearts. And give you a new heart. And I'll put a new spirit in you. And I'll take your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I'll put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees. Be careful to obey my regulations. Do you know this is what happened at Pentecost? Ezekiel 36, 25-27 was pointing to Pentecost. But in Acts chapter 2, on that Pentecost feast celebration, the Holy Spirit went flying into that room. And for all those who were seeking after Jesus, He gave them a new responsive heart. Doesn't that sound so cool? A new responsive heart. You know, I still have a lot of anger, just part of who I am. And I know that's my flesh, right? It's my flesh. But I know this, that back in the day, that I would not be responsive to forgiveness if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit. I actually drive Sue crazy because I can in one minute just kind of like, bark at her. And literally, in a moment, be like, I'm sorry. I'm a jerk. And I know that in that moment that God is still working out my stuff. But in that moment, what He's given me is a responsive heart to my own sin that wants to just keep pushing me and prying me, and prodding me. Do you realize that the moment you come to Jesus, I'm going to keep repeating this, that He gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit. I've got to read something else to you. I'm, I'm sorry, I've, I've been engulfed with, with this one author. Our life is not only spiritual, but divine. The world says that we are all spiritual. Total lie. We are spiritually dead. But in Christ, we are divine. Henceforth, it is not we who live, but Christ who lives in us. And we draw from Him through the Holy Spirit every moment, life and health and joy and peace. It is not living through the Spirit, but living in the Spirit. We think we chase after the Holy Spirit, don't we? I got to go find him. I got to pray a little harder. I got to go to church. I got to go to MC. I got to do things with the Holy Spirit present. No, the Holy Spirit is in us when we abide. What does it mean to abide? It means that in the crisis and turmoils of life, we say, I'm not moving. I'm sitting. I'm sitting here. 
knowing that in my brokenness, in my guilt, in my shame, in my struggles, in my tensions, in my life, in my circumstances, that no matter what I do or how I've done it, I am in Christ. In Christ. And this is the one thing that I know in my life God has worked on me more than ever lately. I fast, I pray, I do everything right. Everything. I confess my sins to my friends. I share my shortcomings. And still I've had this nature that I've got to do, I've got to do, I've got to do. And God said, stop doing and just be. He is the very element of our new existence. Before us, behind us, above us, beneath us, within us, beyond us. We are buried in Him, lost in Him, encompassed by Him, and by the air we breathe. Breathe in. That very breath was at creation. Do you know that? In Genesis 1, when he talks about breath, he talks about and he uses the word for spirit. That God gives us every air we breathe. This is the yet higher mystery of the new life. Greater than the new birth. This is the secret which Paul describes was hid for ages and generations. But now, made manifest to His saints, Christ in you, the hope of glory. I know I have a tendency, and this is just a true confession, I know I have a tendency to want to pray for healing, want to pray for deliverance. I know that I want to pray for all this stuff. But none of that means anything. Do you know even in the, in the Gospels, whenever Jesus did a miracle, it always pointed to the fact that Jesus wanted them to abide in Him. Everything God has done in the history of this world, in the history of Scripture, starting with in the garden, rest in Me, do what I've told you to do, and you will live in a place of paradise. When you look at the Israelites, when He took them out of slavery, what He did is He said, just sit under the cloud and sit under the fire and just follow where I'm going. When He did this all throughout church history, all He said is, stop trying to be and just rest in Me. The whole point is that we would know who we are. That in Christ, I am a child of God. And, not but, and I am a new creation. I hate the old Rob. Do you know, I, I, the other day, um, I looked down at my arm and I, I still have a scar from one night. I was so mad. I took a steak knife and I started ripping my arm apart. I hated that about me. I hated this, 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 this brutal kid that I was as a teenager. I hated that when I saw myself in the mirror that every other word was either the F word or something else, that you're a failure. And when I came to Jesus, I didn't want to be a better Rob Parker. I wanted to be a new Rob Parker. 
I wanted to be something different that when people saw me, that when I went in to do different things, they're like, and I told them my testimony, they're like, no way. There's no way. There's no way you did that. Because in Christ, I am a new creation. Amen? Seriously. There has to come a point in church that it's not about your moralism. When you look in the eyes of Jesus, He makes everything pure. He makes everything pure. He convicts you of holy living. And He doesn't do that to make you feel guilt and shame. He does it so that you can experience the full life, the full life He wants you to have in Christ. Last night I had a dream. I'm sorry I'm telling a lot of stories about myself this morning. I apologize. Last night I had a dream that I truly believed that God was convicting me of something. And I woke up and I told Sue. She kind of laughed at me like, whoa, you're really weird. I will not tell that dream ever in a service. Correct? Never. <laughs> Never. Trust me. But I woke up and you know what I said? Thank you, Jesus. You desire more life for me. And I know that the enemy put that dream in my mind knowing that this morning all I was going to celebrate was who we are in Jesus. How many of you think faith is too confusing? Wow, you guys are really good. Can, can you be my pastor? How many of you feel faith is confusing? Okay, if you feel faith is confusing, stand up. Come on, all you, confess. Here we go. True confessions. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Keep standing. All right, good. Good. Grab a seat. Let me share something with you that was such a Kairos moment this week for me. I had my ordination council. I've already been ordained through, um, I've been ordained for about 13 years. About, about, about 11 years. I'm sorry, 11 years. But going into the CMA now, uh, I had to go through a whole new process of licensing and ordination. It's a beautiful process. It's a two-year process. And in this I actually was supposed to be ordained four years ago through them, but they canceled on me, I canceled on them, and life in the plant got busy. But I've always been ordained. And there was a question asked me that was such a Kairos moment. And I want to share it this morning. Remember the story of Babel? Genesis 11. Turn with me to Genesis 11. You take that Bible. Turn with me to Genesis 11. We're doing some Bible drills today. Someone gets it? Tell me the page. Genesis 11. Page 8. Hold your Bible up. Rob's not making this up. Hold it up. Come on. It's okay. We're together. We're family. We're family. I'm the really confused father. Here we go. In this story of Babel, humanity wanted to be godlike. Where else did that happen? The Garden of Eden. Remember that? Even in the midst of this, remember that also happened with Noah and all the people? Everyone wanted to be godlike. It's our nature. And our lives become so that we want to be so godlike that all we do is make them more confusing and who do we really get mad at? God. So in Genesis 11, the people of the world said, we're going to build a city. And we're going to build a city that is so amazing. We're going to build this one building that's going to go to the heavens. And we're going to touch heaven. If you don't believe me, read, cha read chapter 11 in Genesis chapter 11. And at that time on earth, which I believe historically, I believe this, I don't believe this is a myth, I don't believe this is added, everyone spoke one common language. Everyone. 
I believe the word is inerrant and infallible. Everyone was speaking the same common language, and I believe this actually took place. And as they built this huge tower, huge tower, God said, here goes man again, trying to be like us. And so in a moment, God confused them and put many different languages in their midst. Imagine all of a sudden, like, and I don't know Spanish at all. Sometimes I'll hear Omar and I'll walk in a room and he'll, he'll be speaking to Spanish and someone I'm like, you got to stop doing that to me. Or I'll be hanging out with him and we'll be walking around town and all these things and one of his Spanish-speaking friends will come up and be like, hey, I'm like, hola. I'm like, chorizo chocolate. Can I have a donut and hot chocolate? And he just kind of looks at me and laughs and just feel like it's stupider and stupider as the day goes on. But all of a sudden, imagine that. Omar and I are speaking English, and all of a sudden, he starts speaking Spanish. Teddy starts speaking Polish. All this, and all of a sudden, you're like, I I don't understand you. What are you talking about? And that's what happened. And that's how it is with faith. We are in a place of confusion. And this is what was asked of me. So tell me what happened in, at Pentecost. So I was talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I said, you know, God gave the gift of the Holy Spirit. He did supernatural works. He manifested Himself. And He said, what else? What else happened in Acts? And I wasn't sure like, what He was looking for. I knew He was looking for something. But I never heard this before. And I had a Kairos moment where I said, Pentecost is the fulfillment of Babel. That God took our confusion and through the power of the Holy Spirit brought us into clarity with Him. Pentecost is the completion of Babel. God does not want to confuse you anymore with who He is and who you are in Christ. He doesn't want you to feel that when you are praying, that you are praying in such a way that you really truly believe that He does not hear you. Pentecost was the fulfillment of Babel to bring clarity between us and God. Does that make sense? Because if God wanted to keep confusion going at Pentecost, he would have prayed in a line, people would have been prayed in a language that no one understood. But instead in that room, people who did not know Spanish or Italian or Chinese or whatever it was, God came upon them in a supernatural way that they started preaching the message of Jesus Christ. That's what happened at Pentecost. All those languages that were confused, God said, I'm going to re-speak them in a way that brings clarity. That every tongue, every tribe, and every nation would know me. And this morning, that's what God wants to do in you. Whether you are 70 whether you are 50, whether you're 16, I don't care how old you are. God wants to bring clarity.
that you are a child of God in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Can I put you on the spot? Come on up. He's like, shoot. (laughs) How cool is this? 16 years old. I love this kid. I love this kid. How cool it is if Jacob fully gets that God no longer wants him to sit in a place of confusion. But because of the Holy Spirit, that he wants to empower him to live in a place of clarity. That he's not only the son of Mary and Scott, but he is a son of God, the Most High. Imagine what his life will look like when he's 25, 26, 36, 46, 56. Imagine the father, the husband, the man, the employer, the employee that he will be, knowing that in that moment, today, he knows that he is a child of the Most High God. Amen? Amen. Thank you. You can sit. Let me read one passage to you and then we're going to close. But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, He will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. This is so awesome. I am leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. I know there's someone in each section that needs peace of heart and mind. And it only begins in the clarity of being a child of God because of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Awesome. Awesome. I'm so not, af- I'm so not afraid. I am so not concerned if people think I'm a wacko for believing in the inerrant, infallible Word of God. Because because of the inerrant, infallible Word of God, I know that in November of 1991 that I was made into a new creation. The old was gone and the new keeps coming. Here's what we're going to do this morning. It's Pentecost. We're going to come to the Lord's table. Can I invite the band to come forward? And we are not, listen to me, this is unapologetic. We are not shying away from believing in the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. This is a day that we remember. And so I want to invite our leadership team to come forward. Some are going to be in the back. And we're going to do two things as we come to communion. First, John said that I have come to baptize you with water. In other words, that I've come to to help you realize that you are far from God. But He will come and baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Which means to give you new life. Whether you have new life or need new life, we're just going to simply anoint you with oil and say, you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. He's going to put a little oil on your head. People do this for Ash Wednesday, right? Why can't we do it with oil? Celebrating the Pentecost. We're going to put some oil on your head as a sign that God's presence is with you. This is biblical. This is ancient. This is early church. This is Old Testament stuff. We're going to anoint you as a sign, a symbol, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And then what we're going to do is we're going to have a few people in the back. And if you need more prayer, maybe there's something that you're just wrestling with and you're like, 
can, can we just kind of push in a prayer for me? I'm really struggling with this. Just go to one person in the back. There's two ladies over here. There's two men over here. And just go and allow God to speak over you. It's not what you do. You can't attain anything, but you can. Child of God. If this is weird or whatever, you don't have to come forward. But today, we celebrate the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. That same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That same power that was in Genesis at the creation of the world. And the same power that we get to live and experience here on earth. No more old. No more old. Brand new. And for all you teenagers that are here, this is an opportunity to start who God wants you to be. In the fullness of assurance. Not what you do, but who you are. So come. Let's eat. Let's be touched by the power of the Holy Spirit. Come. Let's worship together.